Approaching Zion, our Come Follow Me podcast for February 12th through the 18th. The theme is, We Lived After the Manner of Happiness, which is 2 Nephi chapters 3 through 5. Okay, we're just going to jump right into it? We jump right into it, man. We're, we're getting towards, unfortunately, the end of Lehi here, which is kind of sad, but this really starts to really set up the rest of the Book of Mormon. We're going to start to see how Nephi, Lehi, or or Nephi, Laman, and Lemuel, and their kind of inevitable separation here really sets the stage for so much of the tension, the backdrop, the opposition that's going to play into so many of the stories throughout the rest of the Book of Mormon, which is actually good. I mean, it's a good thing, that opposition, that opposition in all things, and having these two factions, I guess, so to speak, that honestly, they play off of each other pretty well. So it it actually, in many ways, becomes a good thing. But this lesson here starts really that transformation between the two peoples. All right. How you feeling? I'm feeling good, man. You got energy? I got my second wind. I'm ready. When I was setting up the cameras, you fell asleep on the floor over here. We decided to add a second camera on the fly, and it's like, well, this is going to take an hour and a half to get it right. (laughs) All right. And I've got my fashionable Band-Aid on my face. It's got little dogs on it, I think. Is that what it is? Yeah. Okay. It's not a gang sign. (laughs) Not a gang initiation. I just got the Mount Everest of zits on my face, and it won't go away. And... To be honest, I think this is less noticeable (laughs) than the zit. So, all right. (laughs) I want to pull up the Come Follow Me manual, the intro. I really liked some things it said here. So, it says that, uh, it's talking about Nephi, and it's saying, we often think about Nephi being unshaken by his trials. Um, And, but... He was as human as the rest of us. So the intro just talks about 2 Nephi chapter 4. It reveals that even faithful people sometimes feel wretched and easily beset by temptations. And so it's saying like Nephi is someone who we can identify with that was just trying and doing his best to live a righteous life. He He wanted to be happy. He wanted to have the joy of the gospel that was available, but he had sins like the rest of us. He had challenges and difficulties, and his heart groaned because of his sins. You know, that's something I think I've appreciated. Maybe I've just noticed it most, like in this Come Follow Me this year, but they are intentionally and purposely trying to get people to focus on the fact that, I mean, so far we've just been talking about Lehi and Nephi and their family, but they consistently, each week, are trying to get people to focus on, like, hey, these are just people. They're just people like you because, you know, growing up or ho- however long you've been in the church and you listen to these stories and you learn these lessons and you just instinctively and intuitively want to put these people up on a pedestal like, oh, they're in the scriptures, so yeah. they're non-relatable. And everything they're trying to do is to get us to focus on, no, these are extremely relatable. Like, they are men and women just like you and me. And, and we need to really internalize that, take it to heart. Well, that, that's one of the strengths of the Book of Mormon. Um, even though the Book of Mormon is equally as old, right, as the Bible, 
um, kind of the, the the more modern translation that we got from Joseph Smith. It it does it does, and and maybe it's just the the way that Nephi wrote his narrative. Yeah. But it was it it does give us more of a of that family vibe mm-hmm. that we can relate with, whereas the prophets in Israel just feel. A little more distant yeah. sometimes. Like it's the Old Testament's harder to to read and to to liken yeah. right unto ourselves. But we get that a lot better and and well, easier what, in the Book of Mormon. The beautiful thing too is Nephi really set a foundation here. The way he wrote, what he was writing about, just the the whole precedent he was setting up. It really seems to have dictated how everybody that came after him was writing and, and narrating and putting things in the Book of Mormon, you know, and it created this cohesion that's so easy to read and so easy to follow and and, and if you do it right, so relatable. Mm-hmm. And and all the subsequent books after Nephi really seem to follow his his example in that. So he really set a, a, a wonderful stage for everybody else to learn from. So what can we get? You know, we're gonna look at this later in, in the uh in the chapter here, the Come Follow Me manual. But uh, even though Nephi was saying that he felt wretched and easily beset and his heart groaned because of his sins, he follows that up with, nevertheless, I know in whom I have trusted. Mm-hmm. So he, this is what we, we get this a lot from Nephi. He understood the grace that comes from Jesus Christ. He understood that there is not an expectation to be perfect now. There is an expectation that we're honestly and sincerely working towards perfection right and that is how we get the peace that the gospel offers us if we're just if we if we live with that expectation that we're damned because we're not perfect that's a that's a miserable way to live your life if we live in a way that we understand the grace and mercy that Jesus Christ offers us and that we can trust in him and that he loves us that brings peace and joy and and all of the blessings of the gospel into our lives and that's that's what christ wants for us and and that's how we could just take advantage of the atonement in our lives and follow that up the manual says um happiness does not come easily or without periods of sorrow it ultimately comes from trusting the lord the rock of our righteousness and this is just a very important thing to keep in mind because a lot of times we think about, oh, like, we're doing everything right. Why why isn't life easier? Mm-hmm. And that's not what the plan of salvation is about. The plan of salvation is about progression and the ability to find happiness despite the difficulty. Yeah. Even though... There are challenges or periods of sorrow, right? That's not something that's temporary, right? There's always going to be the reality of a of life. Whether we're here, whether we're in the celestial kingdom, life still happens, right? Our Heavenly Father is not exempt from trials or periods of sorrow. To the contrary, we know very well that He suffers when He sees His children choosing the path of darkness. He suffered when he had to sacrifice and give his only begotten son, right, as, as part of the, the atonement, the eternal plan, right? Those, 
difficulties and, and periods of sorrow, that, that's part of the eternity, it's part of existence. And it's a necessary part, right, going, looking at last week's chapter, yeah. opposition in all things, right, there's, it's, we have to get this eternal perspective that happiness, we can have happiness and true joy despite the difficulties and the sorrows. Like, we're not seeking to escape those things. We're seeking to be able to put ourselves above them and be happy regardless of where we find ourselves with the understanding that there's always a path forward. There's always progression. There's always something better ahead. Well, and that's, that's very similar to what we learned from Christ's mortal ministry and with, with the, the, the Jews at that time and how even those who were around him and, and really believed in him as the Messiah and, and really felt like he was there to fulfill all the prophecies they had grown up being taught, it was still hard for them to comprehend, like, how is it that the, the Romans have not been overthrown yet? Like, why is it that we're still in bondage to this foreign government? You know, like, they couldn't understand the real purpose and the point of him being there and what he was really freeing them from. Mm -hmm. Similarly, in this in this aspect, the happiness, the joy, the peace that we can receive, that doesn't mean, like, let's not be, let's not have faulty thinking in what that means for what we're going to be dealing with on a day-in and day-out basis. There's still going to be opposition. That's That's a necessity. It's not going away. And so really it's finding that happiness, that joy, that peace in the middle of all of that, through all of that. And then and that comes by relying and trusting on him and his mercy and his grace. So don't be like the Jews and assume it has to be one way when that's not the way it's going to be. You know, he's he's going to be able to provide that through all of that. He's not going to take all of that away from us. It's, I mean, it's that classic, the Lord's ways are not our ways. Yep, that's right. So jumping into Second Nephi chapter 3, we get prophecy about Joseph Smith himself as a choice and chosen seer of the lineage of Joseph of Egypt. And we learn many great things uh, about Joseph Smith and the work that, uh, that he was called to do. So I think I'll just jump into the scriptures here. And what do we see? So context here is is Lehi giving blessings to his children, right? And he's Joseph first, yeah, he's his younger son, one of his younger sons, Joseph. So it kind of begins with him explaining that he was, you know, named Joseph after Joseph of Egypt and that and then he goes into prophecy about those blessings of Joseph of Egypt and how um, they and Lehi and his posterity are chosen to fulfill many of those great blessings. So he goes into this prophecy and he begins talking about a great prophet that will be that will come forth and he says it will be a prophet he will be great like unto Moses. Which already gives a lot of um, symbolism and, and power and understanding into the work that Joseph Smith was called to do. But even more so to them who, you know, as, as Nephi was like they were, they were much closer to Moses, and Moses meant a lot more to them probably than he does to us, right? We just with all the Jewish traditions and everything based around yeah. you know Passover and everything that 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 happened with Moses and Moses delivering them out of Egypt. And the interesting thing too here is 
just like Moses who took the children of Israel and sought to free them physically from the bondage and the slavery that they were experiencing in Egypt, Joseph Smith was doing a very similar thing. There's a lot of parallels there where him restoring the gospel, restoring truth to the earth, was truly seeking to free people spiritually, was seeking to restore what Christ had brought to the earth, right? The children of Israel were offered the fullness of of, of the gospel. They were offered the blessings of the higher priesthood. They, they were being offered all things and unfortunately rejected a lot of that. Well, when Christ came, he, he brought that fullness. He brought the the salvation spiritually in in its fullness and in its completeness and that it, it wasn't able to last you know through apostasy we know it wasn't able to last so what did joseph do well people had become spiritually in bondage again they didn't have that completeness that fullness and so by restoring the gospel becoming that moses type figure he was once again leading people to a place where they could be um untethered where they could be spiritually um, reborn and 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 allowed to flourish, um, and not be limited, not be be capped in in what they were able to receive from the Lord. So a seer I will raise up out of the fruit of thy loins. So, just prophesying by Joseph Smith, being of of the lineage of of, of Joseph of Egypt, and that he was going to be called to bring forth the word of God uh, bringing forth not my word only but to the convincing them of my word which is of course talking about the Book of Mormon the coming forth of, of the Book of Mormon as well as additional truths and interpretations of that and other all, all of the doctrine and, and pieces of the restoration that are part of, of that convincing of the word but when we first episode when we talked about the introduction of the Book of Mormon mm-hmm. says very clearly that's the purpose right the convincing that Jesus is the Christ the eternal God and and it talks about how the Book of Mormon the fruit of of, of you know the, the posterity of Lehi their writings the Book of Mormon will be useful together with the Bible the you know writ, what shall be written by the fruit of the loins of Judah They'll grow together unto the confounding of false doctrines and laying down of contentions. And, of course, sometimes it seems like the Book of Mormon just creates more contentions <laughs> when you're looking in a broader Christian <laughs> context. Certainly based on our YouTube comments, that mm. seems to be the case. But uh, the key here is when they're used together. Yeah. When you accept and receive confirmation that both are true and are the word of God, then they have power unto the confounding of false doctrines. Yeah. And the sad truth is that the Bible alone does not accomplish that. Right? If it did, there would not be hundreds or thousands of Christian churches all teaching different doctrines. If it had the power to confound false doctrines, right, there wouldn't have been a need for a restoration. Yeah. So we just clearly understand the importance of the Book of Mormon together with the Bible for the purpose of confounding false doctrines and establishing 
um, establishing the location as well of of the priesthood, yeah. which really is the true established mechanism of of revelation and and truth. Um, you know, continual modern revelation comes through the priesthood and through and through the living prophets, yeah. right? But how do you get to them? Well, it's through the Book of Mormon, primarily. Well, that's what I was going to say. The Book of Mormon is really a bridge. I mean, it is that bridge. It it, it spans this gap between the Bible, which is beautiful and has so many eternal truths contained within it, but doesn't have everything. The Book of Mormon not only supports that, but clarifies and, and actually adds to it. And then it bridges that gap to what does the Book of Mormon point us to? Well, Revelation, the priesthood, authority, once again being on the earth. So it, it fulfills the Bible and it points us to authority and the priesthood once again being administered on the earth. And and that is ultimately what frees you from, you're, not, you're no longer tied down to, you're not put into this box of what are the words in the Bible. And frankly, you're not even tied down to what are the exact words in the Book of Mormon. Right. It actually points you to, no, there are living oracles on the earth to speak on behalf of God. They have the prophetic mantle to continue to reveal truth to the word to the world. And that that is the most freeing, most beautiful thing. Yeah. Is that you're no longer prohibitively constrained to however many pages and however many words are contained in one book or another. And the Book of Mormon is what actually links all that together and frees God's people from, you know, only being able to adhere to what's written in one or two specific books. It actually opens up all that God has to reveal to his children. Yeah. Including that personal revelation that might just be for you. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, just so beautiful. Just so beautiful, the gospel. And... So the chapter goes on. There's a point here where he talks about, and out of weakness he shall be made strong in that day when my work shall commence among all my people unto the restoring thee, O house of Israel, saith the Lord. So again, talking about Joseph Smith and his prophetic calling, but recognizing that he was a man. And because he was a man, he was weak. Yeah. He no different than any one of us. He had unique gifts. He had unique capacities to fulfill what he was called to do. But he had weaknesses. Yeah. And this alludes to the next chapter, chapter 4, we'll see, where where Nephi does the same thing. Mm-hmm. Where we've just done a book and, a, and you know, first couple chapters of Second Nephi. But there's been a whole book of Nephi and his faithfulness. And everything he's endured, now all the trials and tribulations that he faithfully went through and didn't lose his faith and continued to, you know, really remain on, on the straight and narrow path. And then we'll see in verse or chapter four here that even he felt weak right. and inadequate, you know. And so clearly here in, in chapter three, it's saying the same thing about Joseph Smith. He wasn't perfect. He was a man. He had to struggle mm-hmm. through to, to, to learn. One of the things that's interesting about the Lord is we have a tendency to think that because somebody has received a, a authority or a special calling, like they're automatically endowed with all knowledge mm-hmm. and that they should be able to interpret or act or say or do things perfectly. Mm-hmm. That's not the way the Lord works. He always allows the struggle, right? He always allows that 
progression yeah. to happen. There's no shortcuts, right? And that is incredibly important for us to understand is out of weakness, he shall be made strong, which is exactly that. The struggle is part of gaining the strength, figuring out, wading through tribulation. Yeah. I mean, that is part of becoming who the Lord wants us to become. So apply that to your own life. Like, it's okay that you may be struggling. It's okay that you may not understand understand everything right now. If you struggle correctly, there is strength. There is a lot that will come out of that. The Lord can use that to, to enhance and to bless you and to magnify you. And a lot of critics of the church and of Joseph Smith, right, they immediately just go to point out his weaknesses. Yeah. And they say, well, he can't be a prophet if he's not perfect. Yeah. That's essentially the argument they make, which is silly. Yeah. Because there's no biblical... Um, principle yeah. for that to be the case. I mean, if you look at the prophets of the Bible, not perfect. Yeah. I mean, very successful in their callings, but had trouble, had trials, had tribulations, yeah. and had weaknesses. Did things wrong sometimes. Mm -hmm. I mean, Moses, he was he wasn't even capable to, uh, capable of communicating the revelations. He had to use Aaron. Aaron. Had to have a mouthpiece. Right. Of course, there was the you know the the, the beating the stone and and. Or David, David, a man after the Lord's own heart, you know, who the Lord clearly cherished. Yeah. But clearly had weaknesses. I mean, significant yeah. weaknesses. Jonah. Yeah. yeah. Running from <laughs> from his calling. Right? I mean, that's about... <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's... So, like, the, 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 the benchmark of prophet is not yeah. that you're perfect or that you're strong when you're called. It's that you're willing mm -hmm. and that you're, you're going to have the integrity... And, and the character and the work ethic necessary to fulfill a prophetic role. Yeah. And I think it's just very important to have the expectation. There's people today that kind of take the stance that, oh, the brethren are perfect. You know, he's the prophet. Yeah. You know, he, he can do no wrong. He's a man. President Nelson, the apostles, they're men, right? They can do wrong. It's okay. Now, it doesn't mean they're not called of God. It doesn't mean they're not inspired. It just, it means they're men. Fortunately, they're so much further along in life <laughs> they, they, they've been able to they have they've had more of an opportunity to work through a lot of these weaknesses so it is hard for us to look at him and say oh man he, he's got weaknesses because they have they've been polished a little bit more and that's a good thing that's not a bad thing but that certainly doesn't mean that they don't still have things they're working yeah. through well, and they've had things that they have gone through. Yes, I mean, exactly right. The last, I mean, in the last conference, President Nelson, the prophet, talked about a time when he wasn't paying tithing yeah. fully, when there was parts of his income that he was just forgetting to pay tithing on. Yeah. And it's just like, he repented, like he's a man, like he, ha he has to repent just as much as the rest of us. And yes, I think there, I think it is true that they're probably a little more stable yeah. <laughs> in their capacity to be righteous than some of us, just because of... of of, of their inherent gifts and that they are and just the, the magnificent men that they are, but primarily just out of the experience and life experience that they have and the troubles and trials that they've gone through, right? When you get to that point, you've been refined, you've been, yeah. you've been polished, right? And that's what we are all going through. And it's just, I just think it's very important to always have perspective that just because it's the true church doesn't mean the leadership is is any less human than we are yeah well the lord does this not only with people with individuals but he does it with the church as a whole as well where we can see that he allows the church 
to continue to refine and to improve and to get better at, well, everything we do, whether, whether it's our, our marketing, our outreach, you know, it's, it's the music, it's how do we connect to youth? How do we connect to adults? I mean, all of these things, the Lord allows people, because the church is made up of people who are imperfect, to consistently struggle, think through, try, test, you know, figure out what works better, what is better, and to go through that that struggle because there's growth in that. There's yeah. progress in that. Well, and we were all subject to our our not just our individual difficulties, but we're all subject to the times in which we live. Mm-hmm. We're subject to our biases that come from uh, from our culture and our society. And there's right that I mean that's the constant struggle is that we're born into the world, into Babylon. And we are all so much just from the day we're born is indoctrinated into the world. Yeah. And we're we're impacted and affected and influenced by the world way more than we realize. And we have a lot of our thoughts and our way of thinking and it's just influenced by by the world and the media and the, just the propaganda that's thrown at us all the time and we don't even realize it. Yeah. And I mean like I saw a clip the other day that came up, I think it was uh, it was Ben Shapiro. He was having some kind of interview, and it seemed like the other guy was like an atheist who was trying to like do gotchas, yeah, you yeah, know, and like yeah. and get it was like, he was clearly like, you know, it was kind of a hostile interview. But the guy, you know, he asked Ben Shapiro if he condoned like the biblical slavery, like in the Law of Moses, and of course Ben Shapiro was like, no. And so the atheist was like, well, if you if you say there's no moral relevant uh, re- relativism, like how can you also say that, like can like not condone that you know under Moses that they're like slavery was allowed, and it's just like and he uh, you know it was a short clip so I he didn't seem to have an immediate response, but he was just kind of like well that was a different time, yeah, and the atheists didn't think that was a very good answer, um, but but it's true like. Moses and Israel, like it was a different time. They had their own weaknesses just out of the culture in which they lived. They were human just because Moses was called of God, just because, right, the the scripture, the law was inspired, doesn't mean it was perfect, doesn't mean Moses was perfect. They were also working through their own issues, not just personally, but culturally, Collectively. collectively, as a society. And that's just something to keep in mind, like in in general, not just as people, but as a society, as a culture, we all there's weaknesses that we're going through. We've seen that in the modern church, like in the 1800s to today. There's been things that we've we've gone through, it, we've we've worked out, and policy has been improved. And there's things that church has done wrong that they fixed, and we do we are correct in doing today. Yeah. Not just our church, but you know, Christianity in general has gone gone through centuries there's, there's of, of refinement reforma- reformation i mean there's this constant you know figuring out and, and maturing and progressing towards greater truth greater light yeah. greater purity i mean you, you could know? go and look back at, at the at, at early earlier christianity and the crusades and all these like kind of <coughs> atrocities mm-hmm. <laughs> that have been done in the name of christianity or or other religions but Right, that doesn't mean that thing that that thing that there, there wasn't are, truth. There. there wasn't truth there. There wasn't inspirations happening. It just means that those those things were they, they were men, right? Well, what makes the Lord so great is that He is still able to accomplish His work through 
that imperfect uh-huh. system he has yeah. through us. Well, you know? I, th- I think it makes it clear that the Lord's work is not like in this like man-made organization that is the church, right? The church is used as a mechanism for the Lord's work yeah. to occur, but it's like the the law of Moses, right? Or or the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints, right? It's that's just a that's just a part of the infrastructure that man has created through inspiration as part of God's work of helping men perfect themselves through Jesus Christ and progress towards eternal life and yep. towards exaltation. It's it's a much broader, bigger picture, bigger view than just you know that than just there's this has to be like divine prophetic revelation about everything and if so, everything's not perfect and right it's wrong like it's that's it's it's i guess it's i'm having trouble expressing myself completely but well and it's, it's important it's, for us it's important for us not to be captured by the moment by today like sometimes we've got to just stop and take a step back and look at things from a much broader much larger perspective and that's what the lord is always able to do perfectly i mean he he look he not only can look at the individual perfectly on a very close-up view but he can also see the whole picture and he does understand that he's got to work with imperfect people and imperfect systems but still figures out a way to accomplish his work and to to open up this opportunity of salvation to as many souls as as possible and as part of the blessing here in chapter three um, he talks about, you know, it's talking about the Book of Mormon, you know, the, uh, because of their faith, their words shall proceed forth out of my mouth unto their brethren who are the fruit of thy loins. And again, the weakness of their words will I make strong in their faith unto the remembering of my covenant, which I made unto thy fathers. So, again, same concept, right? What this is saying is that, you know, Nephi, the prophets of the Book of Mormon, right, they were weak and their ability to write and communicate their words. They were strong in their faith, but they were weak in their ability to to document their words, which just is a testament to the necessity of a inspired or translation, right? A Book of Mormon had to be translated by revelation. Yeah. It had to be done prophetically. Joseph Smith was not performing an academic rev- uh, translation of the Book of Mormon. Right, he wasn't he wasn't looking and going character by character and saying, well, according to the alphabet of the the Hebrew alphabet and the Egyptian no, like he yeah. it was purely by revelation. Yeah. It was purely by inspiration of the Book of Mormon was translated. Why is it why do I why am I saying this? Because that allowed him not to translate the words, but to translate the intent. Yeah. To translate the faith. And 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 the and the spiritual intent behind those words, for what purpose? Remembering the Lord's covenants and convincing the reader that Jesus is the Christ. Right? It was it was much more powerful than just an academic translation of a document. There was a much bigger, more powerful purpose in the Book of Mormon. And again. In the introduction, if there's if if there's errors, errors of men, right? It was written by man. It was translated by a man. Both sides were inspired, and were working under the spirit, and that 
influence and that prophetic influence but again it's okay that we have weaknesses that doesn't mean that great things cannot come to pass through our efforts right if, when we are sincere the Lord will consecrate our efforts and allow great things weak things to be strong and for divine purposes to be fulfilled through our weak efforts well and sometimes it's just a matter of are we willing to even try I mean sometimes our 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 efforts what we are putting out there thinking this is going to solve the problem really doesn't make sense and in the grand scheme of things probably not a very good idea but the Lord consecrates our efforts right when when you know as we'll learn later on in the Book of Mormon when the brother of Jared is like hey I need light on these ships and he just takes some stones, some rocks to the Lord and is like, hey, bro, can you touch these? And maybe they'll just light up. He might us. have been a little more respectful <laughs> in his language. Yeah. He's like, can you touch these rocks, though, and turn them into light? Like, that was the best he could think of. I mean, was would I have thought of that? Probably not. I have no idea what I would have thought of. You know, but the point was, he took something. He did something. He offered something to the Lord. And the Lord was able to consecrate it, right? So that, <clears throat> for this, if you're weak... If you have problems, if you have issues, which we all do, don't let that paralyze you. Like, offer something up to the Lord. Kneel down at the altar. Offer something. Sacrifice something. Give him something to work with. Yeah. And he can consecrate that. And he can make it enough. You can't. You can't do it on your own. But if you just, whatever calling you have in the church, you feel inadequate about it, or whatever inspiration you receive, like, I really feel like I need to talk to this person that I really don't know or that I'm I'm really uncomfortable talking to, but I feel like I need to do something for him. Like, okay, you're weak in some of that, but offer something and the Lord will consecrate it. He'll make it enough. The last thing that jumped out at me in chapter 3 was uh, in verse 24. Uh, and there shall rise up one mighty among them who shall do much good, both in word and in deed, being an instrument in the hands of God with exceeding faith. So, again, talking about Joseph Smith, to do the thing which is great in the sight of God, unto the bringing to pass much restoration unto the house of Israel and unto the seed of thy brethren. Unto the bringing to pass much restoration. I just thought that was very interesting and very important that. The restoration is ongoing, which is what President Nelson has taught. Joseph Smith was called to be the prophet of the dispensation of the restoration of all things. And he did restore all of the saving ordinances and the priesthood and did establish the kingdom of God. But he, he brought to pass much restoration, not the complete restoration or the fullness of restoration. So I just thought that was interesting that it was very clear, like his mission was very clear that right, he didn't have to do it all. Mm-hmm. He just had to do what he had to do. And and to this day, the restoration is ongoing. There are truths and many great and important things being revealed and that will be revealed uh, through the priesthood, through the brethren. And I, I just thought that was very interesting that it was worded in that way because it just lined up so perfectly with the modern teachings we're getting today. I wanted to uh, read something here in this little annotated Book of Mormon that I've got in regards to Joseph Smith. And this was kind of cool. They they got this excerpt from the uh, Joseph Smith papers, and it was a, a patriarchal blessing that his father, Joseph Smith Sr., 
gave to Joseph Smith Jr. It's just this one little paragraph at the end that I thought, man, this is this is really cool. And in the blessing, Joseph Smith Sr. says, Thou, meaning Joseph Smith Jr., shall hold the keys of this ministry, even the presidency of this church, both in time and in eternity, and thou shalt stand on Mount Zion when the tribes of Jacob come shouting from the north, and with thy brethren, the sons of Ephraim, crown them in the name of Jesus Christ. And I just thought, boy, what, I mean, you know, this just kind of leads into naturally our our testimony and our witness of, of Joseph Smith. And it's so funny. We were actually talking about this on the phone yesterday or the day before, before you know, just the, the hatred, the vitriol, the mockery, the anger and, or, or, or laughter that comes from other people who don't have that testimony of Joseph Smith. And then for those of us who have received that divine witness of his, of his calling and what he was able to do, you realize how, what a miracle it was that he was able to accomplish all that he was able to accomplish. And you realize it wasn't him doing it. He was willing. He went and did the best he could. And as we were saying, the Lord consecrated his efforts beautifully. It was miraculous what he was able to do in such a short amount of time. Yeah. And for those of us who have gone through the effort and taken the energy to really find out with an open, sincere heart, was this man truly a prophet of God? Man, when you receive that profound witness, it, it's, it is amazing how life-changing that is. And it's not just him, because you seek to receive a witness of so many aspects surrounding the restoration. Yeah. Him, the Book of Mormon, Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the Savior of the world. You know, the, the prophets and apostles today. I mean, you ask to receive these witnesses, and it may not be at first, but as time goes on with sincerity and real intent, full purpose of heart, you receive the most profound witnesses of these things and... It is, it is a miracle that we live in a day and age that so many in the history of the world will never get to experience where we have the restoration because he was willing to heed the call that the Lord extended to him. And he didn't do it perfectly. He didn't do it exact, but he did it the best that he could and the Lord made it enough. The Lord consecrated that. And for us, it's the same thing. We've just got to act. We've got to do the best that we can, and the Lord will consecrate it. And and for those of us who've received a, a witness of him, we look at what he was able to accomplish, and it's astounding. Honestly, it's miraculous, and it's so funny because other people on the outside, man, all they want to do is make fun of and and, and mock and... and um, Great and spacious building, yeah, man. Yeah, I mean, just bring him down without fully understanding everything he was able to do in such a short amount of time. There's no other explanation for it other than it truly the isn't. Lord was with him. If you look at it with sincerity, it's just miraculous. Yeah. There's no other way to say it. Yeah. And the manual actually asked the question, how is your life different because of what the Lord restored through Joseph Smith? And what would your life be like if the restoration had not happened? That's just very very profound questions to ponder. Yeah. When you have when when you've tasted confirmation of the truth of the restoration when it has when it has taken root in your heart and has shaped and molded your as, so many aspects of your life to really ponder on 
who would you be without it? Yeah. Where would you be? What would your life be like without it? And you begin to realize very quickly, truly, how much of a blessing and a, and a miracle it is. And I mean, I I, <laughs> I think both of us have a pretty good idea where we would be because we almost got there. Well, yeah, we we, we almost we, ended up much there. <laughs> we almost ended up there with the gospel. So, <laughs> well, you know, one of the difficult things is, and I, I have found this working with the youth in, in the church over the years is. I don't want to say it's unfair because there's so many blessings being born, being born in, 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 in the church, being born in the covenant. But sometimes youth in the church, they don't have that perspective. They don't have that understanding. They don't have that knowledge. And then you talk to somebody who converted to the gospel later in life and they received these miraculous witnesses and testimonies and they can look back similar to what you and I can do and say, I know how I was 10 years ago. I know how I was five years ago, even, you know, like I can see the person I was and I can now compare that to the person I am today. And you see the miracle, like the the genuine miracle transformation that has taken place in your life. And now what you're willing to sacrifice and give to get to the end goal we all have in mind. And sometimes I think it's hard for youth today to really understand that perspective, you know, because they're just grown up and they're taught good principles, they're taught good yeah. values, and so much of this just becomes instinctive to them, and they don't realize truly how good they've got it. Well, I think we fell into that. Oh, for sure. You There's know? no doubt. And it's that. it's such a hard thing to it's such a it's it's such a tight line, right? Because it seems to be the case that you really have to taste that bitter. To appreciate the sweet, right? That's the, I mean, that's the class, that's a classic example of the fall of Adam, Adam and Eve and what we learn. But, you know, as parents, you don't want your children, right, to taste of the bitter. Yeah. And you don't want, you certainly don't want to take the risk of them going down a path and then not coming back from it. Like, you don't, we certainly don't want them to have to experience that. But at the same time, it almost seems like some of that has to happen for a true powerful conversion to take place to the gospel to really appreciate the sweet so it's such a it's 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 such a contradiction mm. right that that you have to have that true opposition to have that true agency mm-hmm. to truly be converted but um it's it it's just a dichotomy well what a you know, one of the bridges, I think, one of the things that helps kind of cover some of that and some I wish I would have done, obviously, and we've talked about this before, but one of the benefits, I think, of the mission is that it gives these youth and a lot of them who have grown up in the church and don't have a very broad perspective, mm-hmm. they get to go out and experience life through other people's eyes. Yes. And they get to experience what life is like for people who didn't grow up the way they grew up or didn't have what they have. And it's almost like Nephi's vision that he has early on in First Nephi where the Spirit continues to tell him, look, look, and is giving these experiences that within this vision, he's, he's getting this experience through observing, yeah. through watching, through looking, you know, and there's a lot of value in that. And it's almost like that's what the mission can be for youth today where, mm-hmm. yeah, you may have grown up in the church and you really don't understand, you know, I'm not saying everyone that is grows up in the church has all these wonderful things, but a lot of people, their parents are doing fine. They, they, you know, they're they're um, doing okay. Poverty is 
at least in the States, you know, and a lot of the Western world is under control. You know, they don't have to worry about what they're going to eat from day to day or moment to moment. Like they have a pretty good, comfortable life. And then a lot of times they go out on these missions and they start to see people through either no choices of their own or sometimes self-inflicted choices. They get to see what can happen when you don't have those teachings. You don't have that foundation. Um, And through that observation, they can start to say, I can at least observe now the bitter. And and hopefully they don't actually partake of that themselves, but they can observe and, and receive a knowledge and a witness of, of, of what it means to live the, the gospel standards and to live the doctrine and the blessings of doing so. So moving into chapter four, there's a section in Come Follow Me that's entitled, O Lord, I Have Trusted in Thee. So in chapter four, um, well, first we we have Lehi's death. Yep. So he, he's, he dies and he's buried. So you have the family suffering and going through that. And of course, you can imagine Laman and Lemuel chomping at the bits to <laughs> seize control and power over over the family. Now, the family. their birthright is really what they were seeking after. Now, to to be patriarch of the family, essentially at this point, and almost immediately, as soon as Lehi's gone, Laman and Lemuel seek to basically put Nephi in his place at to the point in which they're willing to slay him once again. I lost track how many times they try to kill Nephi but once again they're they're coming after Nephi so that's kind of setting the stage for what's what's coming next with with Nephi and the rest of chapter four. Oh, you made a note here right uh, before Lehi's passing he's gives a blessing to, oh, to Sam yeah that's right so in verse 11 he he talks about um he Lehi before he passes talking to Sam and he says to Sam he's saying blessed art thou and thy seed for thou shalt inherit the land like unto thy brother Nephi, and thy seed shall be numbered with his seed. And thou shalt be even like unto thy brother, and thy seed like unto his seed, and thou shalt be blessed in all thy days. So really, Lehi is telling Sam here that you are going to be blessed just as much as Nephi is. Now, what's the interesting part about that? Well, we, we've seen at least previously in the in the Book of Mormon, the first Nephi, that Sam didn't necessarily receive all the great visitations, all the great manifestations. He didn't he didn't receive all those visions directly as Nephi did. Now, it doesn't say he didn't either, but at least in certain aspects of first Nephi, it alludes to the fact that Nephi would convey these things to Sam and Sam would willingly accept them. He understood intuitively and internally that these were these things were true. You know, he just had that spiritual gift to hear the words of Nephi, to discern with the mm-hmm. Spirit, and understand that what Nephi was telling him was true. The interesting thing here is Lehi is telling Sam, you didn't have to receive those yeah. visions. You didn't have to receive all those manifestations. You still have the promised, the same promised blessings that your brother Nephi does. And to us today, that's beautiful because we always look at other people who They've got these spiritual gifts or they've got these amazing stories or they had these things happen to them. And it's like, are they better than me? Are they going to receive greater blessings than me? You know, am I, do, do I qualify to receive what they qualify for? And the truth is you do. If you are remaining true and faithful, if you are seeking after righteousness and seeking to expand who you are and progressing towards the Lord and the individual the Lord is calling you to be, 
If you're doing that in your own individual way, you qualify for the same blessings. You're now, not any less than somebody else. Well, and in the, in the scriptures where it teaches about the gifts of the Spirit, right? one of the gifts of the Spirit is the ability to believe the words of others. Yeah. And there's also the gifts like of knowledge, of personal um, experiences, but a gift of the Spirit is the ability to have that level of faith and the ability to discern truth and to discern and, and to receive witnesses through the experiences and the testimony of others. Yeah. So it that should not be considered lesser. Yeah. Right. That's right. Lesser too. And I know it's it easier said than done because we all desire the best gifts and, and, and great manifestations, but it is not a lesser gift. Right. And we all have we all have different gifts given to us for a reason. And that is that is to make the church as a whole stronger so i just think it's important like do not discount the gifts you have they're all equally important and necessary well and it must be that way if you think about it because you look at the gifts and the abilities that the savior had and they're infinitely beyond anything that we have right and for some reason with him we don't sit we don't turn around and say well i don't have what he has i don't have the ability he has so I don't qualify. Like, what do we see? Well, through the Savior, through His grace, because of everything that He is, we can qualify for exactly what He qualifies for. Mm -hmm. It's the same thing. Just because you don't have the gifts somebody else has, through that mercy, through that grace that's being offered you, it doesn't matter if you are remaining true and faithful and, and understand how to live that redemption lifestyle then you qualify for the same blessings as somebody else who has had these miraculous events happen to them. So Lehi was buried, and it came to pass that not many days after his death, Laman and Lemuel were angry. <laughs> understandable that they're upset and angry with the passing of their father, but not understandable that they're taking it out on Nephi and the sons of Ishmael. Uh, well, the sons of Ishmael were also angry. Yeah. But uh, Nephi and Sam and the righteous. And verse 14 says that Nephi, I Nephi, was constrained to speak unto them according to the Lord's word. Um, very interesting. You know, I the word constrained, right? He was in, com almost compelled by the Spirit to open his mouth and to give admonitions unto, unto Laman and Lemuel and sons of Ishmael and I normally think of being being constrained as to being constrained not right to say or share certain things but in this case constrained to the point where you're you feel it's necessary to say these things and it's I'm sure it was not easy things yeah that he, he was sharing here right well and that's and that's a lesson for us as well is that Nephi and in, in probably the most righteous most christ-like way he could he could muster he could come up with you know he he was speaking the words of the spirit that the spirit was basically you know commanding him to speak and for us there will be times and there will be those moments and those opportunities when you know we have to use discernment and we have to always remember to be as christ-like as we could be but sometimes it's okay to speak the words of truth, to speak the words of the Spirit to somebody, and for it to seemingly fall on deaf ears. Yeah. You know, Nephi is speaking to Laman and Lemuel and the sons of Ishmael. He's giving them truth, 
according to what the Spirit is commanding him to do. And what do we see here shortly hereafter? It doesn't seem to have an effect on Laman and Lemuel. Okay, so why was he being constrained to say these things? I don't know. But whatever the case may be, whatever the reason is, and there's probably several of them because the Spirit always seems to do same things, you know, multifaceted. Whatever it was, there was a reason and a purpose for it. But when we are constrained to speak words of truth, we can't be focused on the outcome. We can't be focused on what we think needs to happen by speaking those words. Sometimes you're going to be inspired to talk to somebody or to speak to somebody and you go and do it and you assume it's going to lead to something. There's going to be a specific outcome, and then nothing and nothing comes of it. Don't don't get caught up on that. Don't get concerned about that. Get concerned about the doing. Focus less on the outcome. Yeah, I, I think another one of these dichotomies of the gospel is that the knowledge that has the power to save us has the power to condemn us. Yeah. And that's a, it's, it's a very it's a it's a very difficult thing because you we preach the gospel and we share testimony and we try to move people in the direction of Christ and accepting Christ and accepting the gospel and making and keeping covenants but that very act of sharing the gospel and, and, and opening someone's eyes to it gives them the agency and puts them in a position to reject it yeah to choose darkness over light and that's the nature of agency yeah. right you you can taste of the bitter and the sweet and then you're free to choose which one you prefer which one you want to go after and you know it, once you've tasted of the sweet it just it seems completely crazy that people would go down any other path but it's just the nature of well we always get focused on our perspective is opposition in all things we always start with the premise of good and righteousness and we say oh well we need we need the darkness we need the evil to provide that opposition well for some people it's a little bit of the opposite of that where they've already got plenty of you know darkness they already got plenty of 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 evil in their life and sometimes we've just got to be that opposition to say hey there is truth and light here there's a higher way of doing it now that doesn't mean they got to accept it it doesn't mean they're going to going to going to gravitate towards it yeah. sometimes they don't sometimes they reject it but just like the adversary has to provide opposition to us in order for all things to be complete we also have to provide that opposition to others who maybe currently are rejecting that light and yeah. rejecting truth as well and this is where we get into the part kind of where we started in the introduction uh, where Nephi goes into kind of his his psalm where he's just really putting his heart on his sleeve and just talking about how how he recognizes how sinful of a person he is and and how little he qualifies you know for for salvation through any semblance of his own efforts right where he oh oh let me put it up here oh wretched man that i am my heart sorroweth because of my flesh my soul grieveth because of my iniquities i'm encompassed about because of the temptations and the sins which do easily beset me I mean, this is the most relatable thing. Yeah. I mean, this is whether <laughs> whether you are a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints or not, you can read this entire I mean, I mean, what would you call this? I mean, this is this is his psalm. Yeah, yeah you can read this whole thing and say 
No, I understand that man. I understand what that man is going through and the and the the pain and the anguish, but then ultimately the hope that he's feeling. Like any Christian can read this and say, there's truth in that. Yeah. Because we all have felt this in one way or another. Well, and the important thing is not to get tied down on those feelings. Yep. Right? That's the point of his psalm here. He recognizes those feelings. He, he has he, them. He, yes, he recognizes. He has those feelings. He, he considers himself wretched. He, he just, he understands, he knows his sins. He knows what temptations, right, his favorite sins, right, as, mm-hmm. as the prophet says. Yeah. He knows what those are. He knows, he understands who he is. But how does he follow it up? Nevertheless, I know in whom I have trusted. Okay? That is the key to the gospel. Don't beat yourself up because you're less than perfect or because you're very imperfect. The gospel is grace. The gospel is mercy. The gospel is trusting in the perfection of Jesus Christ. He has the power of salvation and he gives it freely. Okay? That is the gospel. That is what's available to each and every one of us. Do not sit around beating yourself up because you have sins that you feel like you can't overcome. If you are making sincere efforts and strides to draw nearer to the Savior, to to get better at least a little bit day by day, that's enough, right? All he asks of us is all we can do. And sometimes all we can do is very little. (laughs) And it's enough because that is how powerful Jesus Christ is. That's how powerful his grace and his mercy is. That's how powerful the atonement is because he was perfect and performed it on our behalf. Now, that does not, that does not, the flip side of that is not so the atonement justifies or that the atonement condones sin. It does not save us in our sins. It does not condone sin. It saves us us from our sins. Yes. What it does is it offers redemption, as we were talking about last time. Redemption. What does that mean? We live this repentant, this this life of humility where we do what we can. What what did Elder Holland say um, not too long ago in general conferences? Come as you are. But do not plan on remaining there, mm-hmm. meaning be willing to change, be willing to be transformed. Understand where you are. That's what Nephi is doing here. He understands, I know I have weaknesses. I know I have problems. But then open your heart to, I'm willing to transform. I'm willing to go through the refiner's fire to be made whole. And that's one little piece at a time. It's not going to be all at once. But you have all these weaknesses. You have all these issues. The atonement doesn't justify those and say, it's okay to stay there. What the atonement does is say, I'm covering those, but now let's work on them. Mm-hmm. Let's let's really apply redemption into and, my life. That's what we talked about in our Gospel Mysteries <laughs> uh, podcast on grace. Yeah. And grace is an enabling power. Yes. The moment you feel his grace and you apply it in your life, you are now enabled to overcome, yep. to move forward. you We can move forward as though we have already overcome things and we will eventually overcome all things as he did. Yep. That's the gospel. That's the plan of salvation. And we can get to the point where like Nephi uh, says here, 
He hath filled me with his love even unto the consuming of my flesh. You can just, that's, that's the power of, of the grace of Jesus Christ. When you understand it, when you get it, when you feel it, it's, it, it's breathtaking, right? It, it, it knocks you off your feet because it's just, it's, it's, you know, it's a, amazing grace. Yeah. Right? <laughs> like the, the, the words of those hymns, like that, that, that sums it up perfectly. He says here in verse 34, O Lord, I have trusted in thee, and I will trust in thee forever. I will not put my trust in the arm of flesh, for I know that cursed is he that putteth his trust in the arm of flesh. Yea, cursed is he that putteth his trust in man, or maketh flesh his arm. The reason I love that verse so much, the first couple lines of that verse, I have trusted in thee, and I will trust in thee forever. Nephi doesn't put any qualifiers on that statement. His faith and his sincerity, his devoutness to the Lord is, come what may, and this man had suffered beyond what we will probably ever have to experience or can comprehend, multiple times his life being threatened by his own brothers, you know, that at one point he looked up to, at one point, they were yeah. his elder brother, and that he had a hey. He probably looked up to with with awe and with reverence of of his brothers, but at a certain point, realized he was moving beyond them. He he trusted in the Lord, regardless whatever was going to happen to him. Had he been killed at one point come by what his brothers, may. come what may, no matter. And for us, that is where that is where real strength lies. That's when the Lord knows. This person's all in. And the greatest miracles and the greatest blessings will occur after that point. But but what grace and mercy allow is for us to get to that yeah. point where our faith should not be contingent on what blessings are we receiving? How prosperous are we currently being right now in our life? How well is life seemingly? Yeah, how sheltered are we from the tribulation? Yes, correct. Whereas Nephi says, no, none of that matters. My faith, my testimony, my love of the Lord is not contingent on the blessings I'm currently experiencing. It matters not. Regardless, I will be faithful mm -hmm. forever. I will trust in thee forever. And that's that's where we've got to get to. It. And that's the covenant path. Yeah. That's the purpose of covenants. You make solemn promises. And then the test is... Can you be true and faithful to those promises? Yeah. That is integrity. Can you give your word and be true to your word? Yeah. Why is God God? Why do we put our trust in God? Why do we put our trust in Jesus Christ? Because when he gives his word, he is true yeah. to his word. And we can do the same. He does not ask all things of us. He asks very specific things of us that are in our capacities to learn how to accomplish and to accomplish. So when we make those sacred and solemn covenants, we just have to have integrity. Come what may, I will be true and faithful to the promises I've made to God before God, angels, and witnesses. We each can do that. We can be true and faithful from the baptismal covenant, right, of, of, of being willing to follow Jesus Christ to the temple covenants of saying, yes, we will be obedient and, and live the law of sacrifice and be chaste and, and, and consecrate our lives to the kingdom of God it 
we all have the capacity to, to have integrity and be true and faithful to those promises, to those covenants. And, and what's beautiful is that all of the blessings of eternity are available to us just by doing that, just by, be, just by being a person, having the character to give your word and be, tr- and be true to it and honor, honor the word, the promises that you give. Right? That's just as important in the gospel as it is in our daily, as it should be in our daily lives, right? Well, he, our, our culture used to be much more, you know, built around your word is your bond. And yeah. of course, the world has thrown that out, out the window. But that's how we, we have to maintain that approach and that character. And it's just when you, t- when you apply that and you're all in and you're just, I'm like Nephi, I'm going to be true and faithful regardless because I've made those covenants. Right, life becomes simple. Yeah, doesn't become easy, but it becomes simple. The decisions you make, your ability to discern what you should and should not do, it becomes simple because it's just I've given my word, I made these promises, I'm going to live according to it. I even if I'm confused, I don't understand everything. There's people are are, are attacking my belief, my faith, and they're pointing the finger and they're mocking, and there's there's things that I don't understand. Life is so much easier when you just have integrity and you can, you're true and faithful to the promises that you've made. The Lord takes care of the rest. That's the promise. That's the truth. Yeah. The Lord will take care of the rest as we're true and faithful. Well, and the, the whole point of what we're doing and the, the point of covenant making is to rise above or to essentially to move beyond this world in which we live. And the only way to do that is to free yourself from the bonds of this world, whether it's, you know, the jobs that I have or the house that I have or the cars that I have or everything Babylon says is a sign of success. You know, I'm not saying there's not importance to those things. Obviously, there are. There are there are things that you must have to take care of yourself and, and take care of your family. But what I'm saying is when you have that eye that says, I will I will always put the Lord first regardless of what's happening everywhere else. What does Nephi teach us here? I will trust in thee forever. Why? Because the Lord will always provide for and take care of his own. He will always do it. Now, it may not be in the way in which you would prefer. You may want the bigger house or the more luxurious car or whatever the case may be. But when your heart's set upon those things, it's more difficult for the Lord to work with you. But when you say, I'm going to serve the Lord first, I'm going to do what the Lord asked me to do first, regardless of what's going on in my personal life, regardless of what problems I'm having financially or with the house or whatever the case may be, I'm going to serve the Lord first. It frees you from this world and it allows the Lord now to start leading and guiding you and to always giving you enough, always providing to you enough. And you can always trust in the Lord, always have faith in him forever because he will always keep his word and he will provide for his own period and that kind of leads into the next section at, uh, in come follow me which is that i can find happiness in living the gospel of jesus christ just uh chapter five second nephi here and what happens is we see uh laman and lemuel their anger did increase against me in so much they did seek to take away my life just keeps getting worse and worse and what happened the lord did warn me that I, Nephi, should depart from them and flee into the wilderness and all those who would go with me. 
Um, very interesting because, I mean, this is kind of like when, you know, Christ says, I come as a sword, right, <laughs> to divide families. Obviously, the purpose of the gospel is to unite families for eternity, mm. but the wheat and the tares, right, as we were just saying, agency makes it so that there's inevitably divisions that occur yeah. in life. And this happened with Nephi. We learned that sometimes in our search for happiness and the peace of the gospel, we have to separate ourselves from aspects of the world. Sometimes that means physically separating ourselves from places or people that are no good for us, yeah. or worse, that are actively working against us, like in, in this spiritual war in which we find ourselves in this life. And sometimes it's a very hard thing to consider or a hard thing to do, because on one hand, you just you want to you want to love friends and family, you want to fix things and repair relationships, but there are certainly situations that are toxic that we just have to get out of. Yeah, and this was the situation with with Nephi. They had to depart. They had to leave. They finally came to the crossroads where they they had to separate and leave friends and family behind in order for their spiritual progress not to be affected. Well, we. We often, in the church, we always use the the euphemism, you know, in the world, not of the world. And sometimes I think we apply that a little too much and, and go a little too far with that. We where, have to be in the world. Yeah, that we, we, <laughs> we purposely um, wade through situations and, and, and people and things and activities and just say, well, you know, I've got to be in the world, just not of the world. Well, Nephi, through the Spirit here, he understood there's a time and a place to no I don't I don't got to be part of this world I got to separate myself from from my my kinfolk here and leave Laman and Lemuel behind because otherwise it's going to be far greater that I I stay it ain't you no know. good being in this world yeah that's right <laughs> and so you've got to use that discernment especially you know for yourself but especially if you have children well, there's you've got to you got to be able to discern yeah. and say when is it time to say we need to stay and be an example and, and and try to be a light, that that shining light on the hill, you know, as Christ teaches us? But then on the other hand, don't allow yourself or your children to consistently be manipulated and influenced and brought down, lowered down, if if the opposition is is too great, if it's yeah. if it's too much, you know, you've got to use discernment to say, no, we need to exit this situation because yeah. nothing good is coming of it. Yeah. And we find ourselves in a world, at least here in the United States, where the opposition is stronger and more successful than ever. Yeah. And it's unfortunate, just from anecdotal experience, that it seems to be the case that at the moment, the opposition that kids and the youth are getting through public schools and just their their peers and the, and the influence from the world, mm -hmm. it seems to be a little bit stronger and a little bit more successful than a lot of these kids are getting from their homes. Yeah. And this is why there's such a desperate effort, right, even with the, with the Come Follow Me series and manuals and the, it's the effort of, of the brethren to bring the church more into the home. Because yeah. as the prophet said, in the coming days, if you don't have the Holy Ghost constantly, you will not be able to survive. Yeah. And we're already starting to see that, right, with the difficulties that our youth are going through. And, and, and 
it's really necessary to have that firm foundation from use, right, for, for those things to be taught and, and cemented in, in, into our hearts, like in the home, constant. The gospel can no longer be a Sunday thing. Mm-hmm. It has to be an everyday thing. It has to be constant in the home. Right, we have we have to have our families and our lives and our conversations. They need to be righteous and 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 centered on on or in gospel principles, and that's that's what we see here. Right, they Nephi they they were called to depart, but they didn't just depart. They didn't just separate themselves. Right, they separated themselves and observed and kept the judgment statutes and commandments of the Lord and all things, right? They were not hypocrites. They were not Pharisees. They were separating themselves because they were sincerely wanting to make true and faithful efforts of living the gospel, right? They weren't just going to church on Sunday, but then, right, putting media into their homes and onto their TV screens that was not consistent with the gospel. Yeah. They were not going to church and then, and then not observing the Sabbath when they got home, right? They were honestly and sincerely wanting to live and apply the gospel in their lives. And that's why it was appropriate for them to flee so they to put themselves in a position where they could be successful in doing that. Well, you know, one of the interesting things here too is Nephi and those that followed him Laman and Lemuel and their families and the sons of Ishmael, their families, probably looked at those that left as, boy, they were kind of strange. They were kind of a peculiar people, you know? And the truth is, that's okay. Like, I spent so much of my childhood wanting to fit in, wanting to be like everybody else. And where did that get me? Well, it led me to a decade, basically, of struggle and trial and tribulation and not being in the church, not applying the gospel in my life, all all of these problems, right? And I look at my children today and, you know, full disclosure, my wife stays home. She homeschools our kids. They're in the home 90% of the time, 95% of the time. And people always ask me like, well, aren't you worried about them having this or having that or or having some sort of social awkwardness? And I, you know, I stop and think to myself, well, if the cost of them being given a firm foundation It doesn't guarantee anything for them throughout their life. They will have to face opposition. They will have to make choices. But if the cost is, I'm going to give them a firm foundation, and they might be a little bit different, you know what? That's okay, because I don't want my kids to be like all these other kids out there that are doing the things they're doing and that are being influenced by the things they're being influenced by. I want to give them a chance. I want to arm them with the the armor and the truth of God, and then allow them to go out and be warriors for Christ. We have to give them the foundation first, so yeah. that when they in front in in front the, the the opposition, right, they're strong and capable yeah. of discerning it and making their decision and, and using their agency. You've got to know your children because some kids can go to public school and they can face the pressures there, and they have developed and matured in their gospel testimony and their witness, and they can. They can withstand. I mean, they love the gospel. And I've known kids I've worked with in youth that I'm like, that kid gets it, man. Like he he he's yeah. getting the, a solid testimony. And he does a great <laughs> job standing up for his beliefs and for truth and for light. And then some kids, it takes them longer. And you've got to be very observant because whatever sacrifice is required to preserve 
the, 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 the seed that's planted within your children, whatever it is, whatever the cost, don't listen to what the world is. Don't listen to the peer pressure. Don't listen to, I've got to keep up with the Joneses or we got to have this or that or I've got to have the comfortable life. Don't fall into the trap of, i got to have the comfortable life. No, you've got to do whatever is required to give your children and give yourself a chance to flourish and to build that strong foundation in the gospel. So sacrifice is whatever required because the Lord will consecrate that effort for you and you'll get paid back tenfold. You know, you don't have to worry about that. So so give yourself and give your children a chance. And if that means you got to be a little different, that means you got to do things a little different. Maybe you sacrifice some of the comforts of the world. It's worth it. Don't yeah. don't worry about that. Well, we've come to the part of the lesson we've all been waiting for. <laughs> what was the curse that came upon the Lamanites? <laughs> all right, let's read about this. The word of the Lord was fulfilled, which spake unto me, saying, that Inasmuch as they will not hearken unto my words, they shall be cut off from the presence of the Lord. And behold, they were cut off from his presence. And he had caused the cursing to come upon them, a sore cursing because of their iniquity. For behold, they had hardened their hearts against him, that they had become like unto a flint. Wherefore, they were white and exceedingly fair and delightsome, that they might not be enticing unto my un, unto my people the lord god did cause a skin of blackness to come upon them and thus saith the lord i will cause that they shall be a, be loathsome unto thy people save they shall repent of their iniquities and cursed shall be the seed of him that mixeth with their seed so how racist is that <laughs> well First, we got to remember when Nephi's writing this. Years later, thirty years later, he's he's looking back and actually writing on everything that had happened. Let me just say that, like that was sarcasm. Yeah, sarcasm. Okay. <laughs> that was sarcasm. This is obviously one of the the criticisms of the Book of Mormon, saying yeah. that oh, like these these verses here are racist, and they're trying to they're trying to apply these verses to some right to some kind of modern way of thinking. Mm-hmm. And, and attribute it to to modern racism and that's just it's simply not the case yeah. okay it's simply not the case and the curse right had nothing to do with with the color of, of anybody's skin right the curse it says very clearly was simply the fact that they're cut off from the presence of the Lord yeah. they were no longer covenant people of and the that Lord. is not something that the Lord inflicted upon them that was something that they inflicted upon themselves yeah. Right, they, they chose that because of their iniquity. They separated themselves from the presence of the Lord, and ultimately from the righteous, the covenant people, who the Lord led away from them. Yeah, right. That is the curse. The curse is they no longer had the blessings of the priesthood. Mm-hmm. They were no longer tied into that patriarchal order. And you know, it, and then the, the, you know, the question would be, well, what about you know, what about the 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 darkness of of skin that that came upon them. There's lots of explanations for that. Yep. But um, the way I've always thought about it and interpreted it was was it sim- that's an obvious result. You have to remember Nephi's writing this well after the fact. He's recalling. Okay. So when he's talking about this, he's talking about something that happened as a result of this separation and 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 this cursing that come upon them. So what's really happening here is we're seeing a separation of 
of the Lamanites from the covenant, yeah. the covenant people. And we're seeing them going off. And I mean, definitely they began marrying and and procreating outside of the of that Lehite and the, the Lehi and Ishmael family and, um, and yeah. lines that came from Jerusalem. There there was definitely mixing and, and procreating with other peoples yeah. that were already yeah. in the Americas and things like that are taking place. So all it's saying is that through separation of geography and through separation of uh, and, and through differences of, of, of genetics that were happening, there became a physical difference between Nephites and Lamanites. Yeah. And that's something that happened at once, but Obviously, over time, they all, both Nephites and Lamanites, had cycles of righteousness and iniquity and intermixing and intermingling and falling out of the covenant. And, right, this is not something that had any kind of lasting meaning. Mm-hmm. This, 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 this mark or physical attributes, physical changes, it had no lasting meaning as, as it pertained to, to being blessed or cursed. Right? This is just a comment that Nephi is making after the fact, recollecting all the experiences that, that had happened. Yeah. And it's anyone who's actually read the Book of Mormon, right, it's very clear that the Book of Mormon teaches about an impartial God yeah. who makes all blessings available regardless of who you are, how you look, where you've been, where you come from, right? So it's, it's you know, there's a few phrases here that look bad when you read them out of context, but... It's really a weak argument to try to attribute this to some kind of modern racism. Yeah. Well, and they, you know, I think I think the manual even asked, you know, well, we don't know exactly what Nephi's referencing here. The truth is, he was probably a hundred percent using skin color as just one of other factors that seem to denote to his people, hey, stay within the covenant. We need, to, we need to try to stay yeah, within the covenant. That was one of different the different tribe. To, yeah. It's it's different group of people. They don't believe. What we believe, they don't have the covenants and, and the understanding of the Lord. He was not judging people based on their skin color. And that's the difference. Like pointing out an observation, and, mm-hmm. and you know, we're not we're not trying to be apologetics here, but pointing out an observation is different than him judging people. And in fact, later on in Second Nephi, Nephi himself clearly points out that the Lord denieth none that come up to him black and white, bond and free, male and female, all are alike unto God. And so he very clearly, there was no prejudice. There was no um, racism on Nephi's part. He was just saying, here's an observation. It became very clear and very obvious who was of the covenant and who no longer was of the covenant. Yeah. It, it, it was observational. It wasn't judgmental. He wasn't saying they don't qualify because he says shortly hereafter in Second Nephi that any can come unto God and be safe. It It is all based on your choices. It's all based on what you choose to do with the agency God has given you. So this is one of those things that if you don't have a foundation, a spiritual confirmation of the truth from this Book of Mormon, that maybe you, re- you, re- you read it, you see those criticisms, and it's a little, it's confusing to you, you don't quite understand it, but it just goes back to the necessity of having that spiritual confirmation, yeah. of knowing that the Book of Mormon is the Word of God. And when you have that context and you have that confirmation of truth, you can you can look at this and understand that obviously this is not meant to come from that kind of place. Yeah. Right? There's something there's something simpler, 
more pure that's being taught here and it's not racism it's not it's not anything negative like that there's 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 an underlying principle about being the covenant people of the Lord and being true and faithful to those covenants and putting yourself in holy places and with with people who share your values and that's what's most important of all and those are the principles that you're able to get out of the Book of Mormon when you approach it with that true intent and when you approach it with that confirmation that it's true and and I'll just wrapping up I'll just share my testimony that I know that the Book of Mormon is true that I have prayed to God to know that it is true and that Joseph Smith was a true prophet of the Lord and I testify that the Holy Ghost did descend upon me and confirm that these things are true and I am a witness of them and I share that in the name of Jesus Christ amen amen and if anyone ever comes after you or, or you know anyone who's not friendly or doesn't believe in the, the restoration of the gospel and they happen to bring this up you know this this particular area that Nephi points out you can go into the context conversation the truth is they probably don't have the context they don't understand the context and they don't care yeah. well you could just point them very clearly to second Nephi 26 33 and that's exactly what I just pointed where he says he did not he meaning God denieth none that come unto him black and white bond and free male and female he remembereth the heathen and all are alike unto God both Jew and Gentile what do you do with that because Nephi is very clearly saying all are alike unto God and can be can receive salvation yeah. under under God turns out Nephi wasn't racist <laughs> turns out he, yeah turns out he wasn't and so <laughs> and so again don't get focused don't get don't get um captured by little arguments or little little points like this when when you look at the totality of the book of mormon and even first and second nephi together very clearly you can see he understood the gospel he understood the lord and he understood that all are welcome to come unto the lord and to receive salvation to partake of the fruit and to enjoy the blessings of the fruit which is the love of God. It is the Savior. It is His atonement and the redemption that could come to us through that. I love this this week's lesson because it covers so many of the critical aspects, the fundamentals, the foundation of the gospel. Joseph Smith was a prophet, seer, and revelator. The Book of Mormon is the true Word of God, is a companion to the Bible. It actually helps support the Bible. And a day in in a day and age in which we live where Christianity and religion in total is under attack. It's now is not the time for the divisiveness in the Christian community. I think it's time for the Christian community to start looking at the Book of Mormon and say, this actually helps support what the Bible teaches. This actually helps show that the Lord truly is God, that he sent his son, Jesus Christ. And isn't that the most important thing? Isn't that the thing that we should be focusing on? Shouldn't we be rejoicing in that fact? The Book of Mormon is true. It does support and actually clarify things that are in the Bible. We're not at odds with our Christian brethren. We are, we are helping to defend the faith, to provide another marker, another fortress in the ground to say, no, Christ is the Lord of hosts. He is the king of this world. 
and that he was sent by the Father to do all that he did to allow all to receive salvation. The Book of Mormon does that. We need to be proclaiming that boldly and confidently to everyone that's willing to listen, even even our Christian brethren and friends who maybe don't believe what, what we believe. And then obviously these chapters clearly show covenants, priesthood, authority, and that authority has been restored to the earth today. I mean, these, these three chapters contain all the fundamentals of the restoration of the gospel, and Nephi saw that. He saw our day, and it's beautiful that we live in that day and age when all of these things are available to us to take advantage of. I testify of the gospel. I testify of the restoration of the prophet Joseph Smith of the Book of Mormon. Most importantly, I testify of Jesus Christ. This is his work. I mean, this is he is desperate and pleading with all to come unto him and to receive salvation and to receive all the blessings of the Father. And that's why he did all that he did. And, and uh, he is my Savior. He's your Savior. And uh, he will transform you as much as you will allow him to do so. I testify of him in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.